Good morning. Merry Christmas. I know it's just a little early, but that's okay. Hopefully everybody's got their Christmas shopping done. Who's got their Christmas shopping done? Where's the diehard New Year, uh, um, Christmas Eve shoppers? Where are we? Got any guys? Yeah, woo! I got 30 gifts to get. You got like Christmas Eve, go out and get those gifts. Well, we've been in a series, an Advent series, um, going through, looking at the witnesses to the birth of Christ. So we started out with Mary and, and what she had to really truly believe to kind of walk through what she had to walk through. If you can imagine um, being betrothed to a man to be married and, and finding out you're going to become pregnant with, with, with the Son of God, you know, that kind of, of terrifying and amazing, life-changing news. And then we talked about Joseph and, and what he had to believe to, to actually stay with Mary, that she was about to, to have a baby and, and it wasn't his. It was the Lord's. What, what did Joseph go through? What did he have to believe? And then last week we, we talked about the Magi or the wise men and, and what they had to believe to make that long sacrificial journey. I mean, that costly journey they had to take to, to come and, and witness um, the Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And, and then the sacrifice they had to make and, and leaving and going back home a different way. That the angel came and warned them, don't go back to Herod. You know, he's, he's out to get Jesus. Go home a different way. This was probably something that was going to be difficult for them. They, they didn't go the, the main road home. So today we are going to jump back in time. And uh, we're going to be looking at what one of the prophets had to say about the coming king. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Isaiah. It's probably right around the middle of your Bible. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be looking at what Isaiah had to believe to, to share these, these prophecies that he was going to be giving um, to God's people. And it's, it's just it's amazing to me. I love, I love looking at the Old Testament and seeing, you know, God's speaking to his people. And every once in a while, we would get a glimpse of the future, this coming Messiah. And this is, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up. We're going we're gonna to see, we're going to look at two sections of Scripture that are amazingly powerful and prophetic um, about the life of Christ. Let's pray before we read God's Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. As we open it today, we remember Christ's coming his first advent, and we celebrate that today. We thank you for that today and what it means for us. It is life-changing. It is life-giving. As we open your word, Father, I pray that you would give me the words to share, that it would change us and grow us and make us the people that you've called us to be. We offer this time to you. Father, I pray that you would use me for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Isaiah was a prophet that God sent to warn Israel of God's coming judgment if they would not turn from their sin and repent and come back to the Lord. Isaiah reminds God's people of the covenant promises that God had made. He was admonishing them to come back or, or obey what, what God had laid out for them. But this admonishment or, or calling back to God's word had a paradoxical effect or opposite effect of what it was meant. It actually hardened God's people to the Lord. 
Now we're going to pick up the story in chapter 9 where Isaiah is reminding the people of the promised king, the Messiah that would come from the line of David. And what we're going to find today as we look into the book of Isaiah is a shocking and detailed prophecy of Jesus' birth, life, and death. What all of that would mean, not just for Israel, but for all of humanity. Now, I love looking back so far and looking at these prophecies because this is evidence, this is evidence of a real God, that, that Jesus was, was God and man, truly God, truly man, that he lived a life here on this earth, that, that prophecies supernaturally, this is miraculous, prophecies talked about hundreds of years before Jesus even comes on the scene there's evidence that Jesus will be coming. And this evidence is evidence that there's a real creator God, a real creator God who wants to be in relationship with his creation, you and me. Really exciting stuff. So let's remember that as we're reading this and, and pick up on some of these prophecies here. Let's look at this in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun. In the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a crazy, what a crazy prophecy. Think about this. 700 years before Jesus even shows up, Isaiah's talking to God's people, and he's, you know, there's this war, and he's, he's calling God's people to repent and come back to the Lord. And he, he gets into this one part, he, sees, he says, for to us a child is born. Well, Isaiah, where are you going, buddy? What's that have to do with, you know, disobeying God and calling us to repent? What are you talking about? To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And it goes on. It's just like, it's amazing. What, how, how trusting, what did, what did Isaiah really have to believe to say those words in that time where the people of Israel were with all that Isaiah had to say? The first thing I want to kind of pull out of this prophetic word that Isaiah gives to God's people is this, and it's the first fill-in in your notes today, is that Jesus is... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. 
who he is, what he would accomplish for God's people. Both Jesus' deity and humanity were proclaimed long before he ever came. He was more than a man, more than a prophet, more than anyone could imagine. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to set things right. Jesus would be born. He would have a childhood. It says a child is given. He would have friends and and siblings and teachers. Can can you imagine what it was like for Mary to to raise up the, the Son of God? I mean, no pressure, right? Mary and Joseph. Anybody here ever had toddlers? Right? They're like running around the house, like bumping into things, bumping their head on things. Jesus ran into the edge of the table. Oh no, what are we gonna do? You know? You're like, that that had to be that had to be a little worrisome at times, right? Man, I, I remember when my kids were small and, and they'd be running through the house and, and you're just, I, re, I remember when our first child was born and the nurse hands him to me, Noah, he was no bigger than like my hands together, so small and so fragile, right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to break him. I didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm like, I didn't want to move. I, I think Janelle or the nurse said, Matt, you should breathe, you know, just because you're holding this so fragile New life, amazing miracle, raising the Son of God. He would have friends. I wonder if he was, if he, he was ever bullied in school or, or if they, he ever had those interactions and different things. And, and what, Jesus went through puberty. He went through junior high, those junior, the awkward junior high years and experienced real life. That is, that is so reassuring to me. That, that, that God came in the flesh and lived a real life? That he, he would experience those, those interactions that we have with friends and, and with, with family. And like, like we're going to celebrate Christmas and gather together with family. And, you know, there's a, a awkward Uncle Bob who always makes weird comments. And then there's, you know, all these other weird family things that happen. And you're just, Jesus had family. He had a strange Uncle Bob, right? (laughs) No, think about it. He was a real person. He experienced life like you and I experienced life. He he experienced loss like like you and I experienced loss. And there's a great scripture where where it's just full of of rich, deep theological truth. And and as you read it, it just brings so much comfort to us. And it's Jesus Christ wept. That's it. That's the verse. Jesus hearing of the passing of one of his friends, Jesus weeps. In this real humanity, this this tangible, tangible humanity in flesh, Jesus weeps. And in so doing, God, Emmanuel, God with us, We can go to him in our loss. We can go to him in our depression. We can go to him in in our suffering and and know that that he he experienced it and understands it. He's not not like, you know, Clash of the Titans, some god up in, in the clouds, totally detached from humanity, making these decisions and calls off of a whim. 
but that he was truly God and truly man, that Jesus experienced life like you and I have experienced life. He had a mom. He had a dad, brothers, family, friends, a job, worked a job for 30 years, carpentry or stonework, probably had calluses on his hands, remembering that he was man and he is God. A child, think about this, a child is given. This is a child who is counselor, a child who is God, a child who is father, and a child who is the prince of peace. What does that sound like to you guys? As, as I read that, I, I see counselor, God, mighty God, father, prince of peace. We see these words used to depict and, and kind of give us an understanding of who God is. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is, we've, we've come with this word called the Trinity to try and wrap our minds around this, this theological concept of, of this divine God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And, and we try and grasp it and understand it. And here, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, the, we have this description of this coming king, this Messiah, this promised king that, that God had set this plan in place from the garden on, that, that he would heal this brokenness that had come into humanity in the garden when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that God said, don't eat of this. Anything. You can eat anything. You can have anything you want in this garden, but just don't eat of this. But they did it. And from that po point forward, God had a plan. And this plan was to send his one and only son for you and me to heal this, this gap, this divide that sin had created. What an amazing picture of the gospel. And so all through scripture, we have these, these descriptions of God as this counselor that Jesus, as he left, he says, I am sending you a counselor, the spirit to live inside of you. That God is a mighty God, conqueror, powerful. He can handle anything that comes before him. And we have this descriptor, descriptor through the New Testament of Jesus as the prince of peace. That he would bring in an era of peace. He is the prince of peace. We see right here, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, a clear picture of what we call the Trinity. This amazing thing about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a prophecy that the Son of God was coming. This is a prophecy about a God who goes beyond our understanding. A God that is three in one. And as, as we ponder these things and, and try and, and wrap our our human minds around these divine things, we realize, we realize that we serve a God that is so much bigger than we could even imagine or dream. What an amazing picture Isaiah is painting. I can imagine what his audience was thinking as he said it back then. You know, like I, I talked about last week, we have the luxury of, of, of looking back through time through history and, and seeing the work of God and, and seeing 
the promised Messiah actually come and, and, and see what happened to him. This, this prophecy given was a promise that they would look forward to for many, many years to come. The second thing I want to talk about in our text today starts in verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. So the second felony notes is this. Jesus will come and govern righteously over all his people with peace that never ends. Isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but that's really good news for me. Can you imagine a government that actually tells the truth? I'm serious, right? I, I think about this. He's, he's coming to govern. The government will be on his shoulders. And we know that God loves us and cares for us. And he has our best interests in mind. That our lives were meant to be poured out to glorify him. And in this relationship of love with our creator God. Creation and creator in right relationship. This prophecy isn't just this first advent of Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time to conquer sin and death. And he did when he rose from the grave the third day. Making a way for you and me to be in right relationship with God. What an amazing thing. But we know that he made a promise. And he says, I will come back one day. And he's coming back one day to seal the deal. And all the wrong things will be made right. And, and all of this friction and struggle that we live in with this perfect loving God that, that allows suffering and, and, and strife and struggle in our lives. And, and, and the question that, that, that brings up in us about this, I mean, how does this work, God? How, how are you going to bring justice to this injustice? How are you going to bring just, justice to rape? And how are you going to bring justice to abortion? How are you going to bring justice to how these people have lied about me and cheated me? How are you going to bring justice to cancer? I mean, these struggles that we go through, we have a real God that, that this speaks to. He came the first time, but he's coming back again. And this time when he comes back, he's not going to be a baby in a manger. He's going to be a conquering king that sets all things right. And every tear that we have cried, and every struggle that we have been through, he will bring clarity and hope and eternity and peace to all of those things. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope didn't end when he rose from the grave. That hope began. And he fulfills his promises. Just like he came the first time, he will come again the second time. Now that's something to look forward to. Amen? Now if you're new to church, amen just means, oh yeah, man. So you can, you can say amen or you can be like, oh yeah, man. Let's go with that. When we look to Jesus and we run to Jesus, we find hope. And that hope changes us. 
then it mobilizes us and it motivates us to do something, to share something, to give something, because now that hope lives inside of us and sharing that hope is the only real hope this world has. So this Christmas, we celebrate the coming of hope. Not just a hope of something that might come, but a hope in someone who has come and will come again. And that brings us to the last point I want to talk about. I love this one. It's, it's real simple in our text. It's just that, that last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, right? So this, this last fill in super deep theology right here. God will accomplish it. That's what that means. God will accomplish it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I think it's interesting as I read that, it doesn't say that God will do this. God will do it. Or Jesus will do it. It says the zeal of the Lord will do it. This zeal, this word, this, this Aramaic word means passion, jealousy, or ardent love. That's, that's the most, most used translation for that word zeal is ardent love. That God loves you so much with this passion and zeal and it's an ardent love that motivates him and compels him to, to come to people who, who need to be in relationship with him. That he comes into our darkness and in our weakness and meets us and introduces his son to us. I, re I remember, I remember when I met Jesus for the first time. I wasn't looking for a savior. I didn't think my sins needed forgiven. I was fine. I was doing just fine. But in that moment, when the light of the world comes into your life, and that light shines on the darkest place of your heart. You see, you see, you see yourself for who you really are. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God, in his grace and mercy and ardent love, comes to us and shines his light on the darkness of our lives and opens our eyes to see the failures and, and sins that we have walked in. And he's, he's not condemning us and speaking down to us. He is pleading with us and calling us and admonishing us and saying, there is a better way. I have so much more for you than this. All of this stuff. I sent my only son, Jesus, to cover those things as a substitutionary atonement on the cross. He paid the price for you and me. And I have given my son because of this ardent love. And I'm calling you into relationship with me. It's the zeal, the passion in this ardent love of God that will accomplish what God says he will accomplish. It's a promise, but it's a promise that is fueled and motivated and, and just moved forward by a God of love. It's not some condemnation. 
Praise God. It is a beautiful, beautiful conviction. When the Holy Spirit shines his light of truth on our hearts and on our lives, on the things that we've done, it's not condemnation. Condemnation makes us run from God. It's a sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, revealing these things to us and showing us, and, and, and it's, it's like this, this drawing near to us. Conviction of the Holy Spirit causes us to run to Jesus. We realize our desperation. We realize our need for a Savior. And God says, I'm here. I'm here for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You may look back at your life and say, God just, you know, I, I got to get my life together before I come to the Lord. That's backwards. God's the only one that can actually get our lives together. You don't have to get cleaned up before you come to Jesus. Jesus is the one who cleans our lives up. He's the only one who can do it. The Bible also says, who can know the heart of man? It's wicked and deceitful beyond all things. He answers this rhetorical question. He answers, he goes, I the Lord, I the Lord know. He knows our hearts. He knows what you've gone through. He knows what you've struggled with. He, he's not surprised. He's not up there going, oh my gosh, I can't believe Matt did that. No, he knows. And he says, come to me, all you who are weak and weary, all you who have been burdened and are carrying around the weight of the world on your shoulders and carrying around the responsibilities that were only meant for me to bear. If you hear anything this morning outside of those cute little kids singing, hear this. God loves you. He loves you with an ardent love. That means that he has zeal behind this love. He has passion behind this love. And he's pursuing you with this love. You know, in, in, in that, knowing that, we find, we find value. This world convinces us that, that we, we need to find value in what we do. We need to find self-esteem about who we are and all these different things. You know, the reality of Scripture, the reality of a, a real king that's done this for us, we find out that we are priceless. You know what makes you priceless? Is that the very creator of the universe stepped down in the flesh, lived a perfect life that we can't live, and then died a sinner's death that we deserved. And in so doing, he named you priceless. The creator of the universe died for you. You can have no greater value on your life than the value that God places on you by the price of the life of his son. Don't find your value in the things that you do or the things that you accomplish or the legacy you, left, you leave behind. Find your value in the fact that a creator God's ardent love propelled him to give his life for you and me. I mean, Isaiah knew what was going on, didn't he? 
That is some good stuff. Hundreds of years. This is hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up. Isaiah gives us this amazing picture. Isaiah didn't stop there, though. In closing, I want to kind of do a, just a reflective reading of another one of Isaiah's prophecies about Jesus' coming. And to kind of help us get, wrap our minds around this, hopefully some pictures come up on the screen that help us understand what Isaiah is about to say to us. This is in Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through 53, 12. This passage is titled, He was pierced for our transgressions. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The, the will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Praise the Lord for that. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
Can you imagine? Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to earth, that was said. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the coming of Jesus Christ, hundreds and hundreds of years before he came. This is supernatural. This is the miraculous work of God, undeniable. And he loves you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. To the lengths that you go to, to show us and reveal this amazing plan that you set in place long, long before Jesus even came. You are mighty God. You are our counselor, prince of peace. You are all these things and so much more. Lord, in this time, in this time that we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, draw our hearts near. Help us remember what Jesus' coming means for us, that he made a way. God, draw our hearts near to you. Have your way in us this Christmas season. May you be glorified this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, usually the band comes up and plays at this time, and you're probably wondering what in the world's going on. I have some very, very exciting news I want to share with you today. It's been so hard for me not to post this on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere else, but the elders, elders are like, no, we've we got to wait. Um, we have been praying, even long before I, I, I came here, the elders had been praying for Mission View to find a home, a church home. And over the last year and a half that I've been here, we have been searching and looking through, going through a lot of different facilities, looking at land, looking at different things. Um, and I'm very excited to share with you right now that the elders, we have found um, what we believe to be um, a home for Mission View Church. Like I said, I'm super excited. I'm not supposed to share too many details. <laughs> So I'm like holding all this back and different things. But I can tell you this, um, it has been years of prayer. Um, even before I, I came here, my predecessor, Steve Marshall, um, was, was aware of the building that, that we're going to be sharing with you and prayed much. And, and the elders and I have been looking over this past year and a half and so many opportunities have come, you know, right up to us. And we're like, oh, yes, this is the Lord. And but then the Lord makes it clear that that's not our home. Um, but I can tell you, we are really confident that, that this is the place that God has for us. So the way that we proceed in these kinds of things um, is there, there's a church vote. So this, you will become very clearly aware of this facility. Um, we have been working with architects and designers and different things. We've made an offer on this facility, which is a part of the process. We wait to hear back from them on the offer, and then we present drawings and designs and different things to you with the, um, the cost of the facility. I can tell you this much. Um, we really think this is a God thing because uh, what they were asking for this facility, we have gotten them nearly to half of what they were asking for, which is miraculous. Yes. Yeah. Really cool. So, um, so here's how we're going to go forward. Um, 
in January, we, we are going to roll out the plan to you, share with you drawings, and we want to answer all your questions as you see these drawings and different things. But we wanted to make it aware to you uh, before the end of the year, um, because we know that, that we do special offerings and different things at the end of the year. And we wanted to make aware to you, too, that we are going to have a building fund, and you can actually give to a building fund even now um, on our website or through the app or different things. Um, but wanted to make you aware of that, too, because it's a very exciting time for us. So um, I will... Try not to give too many. Is that good, Todd? Did I give too many to you? <laughs> okay, good, good. Check with all the elders here, so make sure I didn't overstep. But um, I'm just really excited. I think it's going to be an amazing thing for us as a church and as we go through this. Um, I met with uh, uh, Pastor Butch Persley this past Thursday. For those of you who don't know, uh, Maranatha, our planting church, Butch is the lead pastor there. And uh, just, he's just a, a man full of wisdom. I meet with him once a month, and he always says to me, Matt, if it's the Lord's will, you'll have that building. And I'm always filled with all this fear. You know, I'm just like, I, all this anxiety, you know, going into these things. And um, I'm so thankful for men like Butch uh, and our elders who just have a strong, strong faith and wisdom and years of that faith that are going to walk alongside us in this journey too. So, um, Maranatha, is, they, they said they're going to support us in this too and walk with us through this as well. So it's exciting that it's not just us. We know that, you know, the vision that God's given us to reach 200,000 people, it's not, we can't do that with the people in this, this room. We can do a, a, a big part of that, but it's going to take Maranatha. It's going to take the bridge. It's going to take Mission View. It's going to take the summit and Tom Hogg. We're going to get together and, and make a difference for the kingdom as the kingdom. You know, these churches, it's not just Mission View Church, but it's many churches but um, we're excited for what God's doing for us. I'm going to say a quick prayer. After I do, um, we're going to dismiss. And uh, we have com the commons. There's donuts and coffee and fruit. You got through these doors, hang a couple of rights, and you'll be in the commons down the hall there. But let's pray, and then we'll dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come today and worship. But also, Lord, we recognize this opportunity for a church home for Mission View Church. We surrender our plans to you. As your word says, make your plans and the Lord will direct your steps. We submit these plans to you, but Lord, we say we are willing to, to go the direction you give. So we, we submit to you. We ask for your guidance and your direction as we move forward. God, we pray that your grace would go before us. And we, we um, are so thankful for this, this building, this tool to reach North Canton and surrounding areas and the world for your glory. Use us, use us up for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you in the comments. Have a great day. We'll see you Christmas Eve.